Hello and welcome to Box Not Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and love from a queer perspective. I'm Hamish, it's been so long since we've done this that I forgot to give myself a title steal. And I'm Jade. Stop. Whoa, yeah, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Wait, wait, yeah, 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 Mr. Postman. Gross. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Uh, Did you not watch SMTV Live? Oh, God, you're probably too young for SMTV Live. No, I know SMTV Live. Well, regardless, the bit where they did the post bag oh, yeah, and that yeah, song yeah. really just clearly stuck in my head. So I just I, I remember with the arm actions and everything. I can't anyway. say I can't say Misty without saying Misty. <laughs> it's good. It's good. SMTV Live. If you are British or of a certain age, you have no idea what Hamish and I are talking about. But this was a show presented by Ant and Deck and Cat Dealey and. It was good. It was like Saturday morning TV, as the SM might suggest. And uh, yeah, it, it was like, I think it's how I remember like being exposed to certain cartoons for the first time. And there was just lots of fun bantry bits in between. It was good. Childhood anarchy. Hmm. Um, but yes. We're off topic. We- <laughs> We've just started and we're off topic. Hello, friends. Uh, we're back. Uh, if only briefly. Uh, cards on the table. We tried to be like super organized and prepared and record our episodes in a non-chronological order so we could be on top of things, but we didn't plan things right. And the moral of this story is don't try to be clever and organize things ahead of time. Yeah. Um, our last episode, our last, last, last proper one, uh, has Mm. already been recorded. Um, mm-hmm. so when you come to listen to that one, which we'll be putting up uh, next week or whenever, uh, mm-hmm. don't be alarmed if all of our points of reference are a little out of date, maybe. But in that yeah. episode, we get into a lot of detail about why we're ending it and also memories of the show. And we go back to our first episode and it's really good. Um, mm. but before we will go, we would like to have one final no box box pop. Um, yeah. a last chance to ask us anything. Yeah, the way the way we thought about it was uh, the final episode is sort of like the last word from Hamish and I. This is sort of like a last chance to hear from uh, our listeners that have been so kind and so supportive uh, since we started. So this is sort of like our last hurrah for you guys. Uh, but before we do that, we shall indulge as always in a little bit of a catch-up geek out. Yeah. Because it has been a long time. Yeah, Hamish and I haven't spoken since uh, a time... Got over two months mm. thinking about it. Probably a little bit less because of when it is. Because we spoke in December last when we last recorded, right? Was that it? Yes. Or was it November? And a lot Ooh. of often I have to sort of try and remember what I've watched, but uh, I had to be very selective this time of what we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, I have things on my list I never talk about. So, you know, yeah. the world has gone topsy turvy. Um, um, who shall go life first? Life update? Do okay. we do life updates well, or stuff updates? Do we have any life updates? I know uh, things are exciting for you. Uh, yeah. Um, anyone that follows me on Twitter or on Facebook will have probably noticed um, I sort of publicly, and I, I hesitate to use the terminology came out, but I very publicly talked about uh, being polyamorous, which is something I've obviously talked about on the podcast before, because um, I now, because apparently I don't know how to do anything like a normal person. Uh, I have three partners uh, now. 
three different land masses, three different time zones. Thankfully, everyone speaks English, so, you know, I could have made life more difficult for myself. Mm-hmm. But uh, things are very good, and I am very happy. And the happiness I feel at being with these wonderful people almost negates the sheer amount of suck of being in a long-distance relationship mm-hmm. twice. <laughs> so <laughs> She's like, you know what? I like being in a long-distance relationship so much, I'm going to have a second one with somebody even further away. <laughs> um, but no, things are good. Follow the Leader is approaching its second season. Uh, we're just wrapping up our first, which is awesome. And we'll get into role play talk in a bit. And that is my life. Let, mm. Let's not be real. It's my shitty job. It's my amazing relationships. And it's tabletop games that fill the void. <laughs> so <laughs> how about you? I know you've been like chained to a desk. Like, yeah. Thinking. Uh, I guess since we last chat, things have been up and down. Um, mm. There's been some sad life uh, events. And there's mm-hmm. been lots of happy moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I've... Uh, I'm doing some colouring still on it, but um, mm-hmm. Dead Endia, The Broken Halo, book two of the Ooh. series, is uh, essentially done. Like, the inks are done, so it's all, the story's all locked in. Woo! And uh, that comes out in November, slash I'll probably have some of it at October Comic Con if I go. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really exciting. It's the first time I've worked with a script editor on a book. And it's just so different. And yeah. um, I'm looking forward to doing it again because we are pretty much straight ahead working on the third one. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm really proud of it. I wish I had a bit more time to do the art. So there's a few more um, panels where there's no backgrounds, but it's a stylistic choice, I assure you. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> And, uh-huh. But it, you know, it's it's just all part of the process. You can keep tinkering on things forever. It's good to have like just to sure. say something's done. Um, and I'm excited, and I'm excited to start working on the third one because I do imagine it as a trilogy, and it would be nice to do something else afterwards, mm-hmm. um, and just have a story that's finished and out there. Um, it's exciting. So yeah, it's been fun. I've got I've really Ooh. got back into comics as well because again, I haven't done a new comic in uh, like two years i've released books but they've all been republishings Mm. of old stuff so sure yeah things are good good i'm glad and i've consumed lots of media in that time as well (laughs) yeah i have perhaps not consumed as much but the stuff i have i super enjoyed um, I don't know whether it's just a lack of free time. Oh, no, wait, it's because I have three partners now. Mm. <laughs> That's where my free time went that I used to use to consume media. Um, no, it's good. What? It's good. Let's talk about some of the things we have been enjoying. Should we talk uh, about some... something that we both have on our lists? Yeah, holy shit. Let's talk about Into the Spider-Verse because... Yeah. Oh, right. It's one of those things. Hype is a thing. And like, I saw so many people talking about it on Twitter. And I or I had seen the trailer like months ago. Um, and that, that trailer had like Miles's leap of faith in it. And like, as it was, which was a, a moment I was like, holy shit, what is this? And I was interested then. Um, but obviously where it was released stateside first, everybody, uh, every artist 
I know. <laughs> Every single artist I know, I'm lucky to follow some very creative people, was losing their shit. Nearly every actor I follow was losing their shit. And like we were saying, this is not just the best Spider-Man movie ever. This is the best superhero movie ever. And I was there like, okay, well, this is, I really hope this isn't just like hype. But at the same time, this amazingly different people are all kind of singing from the same song sheet. Mm. I I was ready to believe. Um, I actually saw it when I was in uh, the Czech Republic over the mm. new year because they do um it's actually quite common having uh films done uh released with the english original english um voiceover yeah um uh, they do obviously like especially for children's stuff they do like a czech dub as well but uh yeah so i was in a in a theater in the czech republic watching it and uh which made for an interesting thing i tell you what though some ga- there was like this family in front of me i think um were russian mm having the best time I was having the best time and like holy shit Mm. yeah I mean I really liked it when you're talking about artists going wild about it um Mm. there's definitely a like I see a lot of jokes recently on Twitter about uh, animators losing their shit over specific things. Like I saw, saw uh, that like yeah. weirdly but good bit of animation in season one of The Simpsons with um oh the babysitter bandit yeah um yeah. just like you know you're an animator or you know animators when they always just talk about this one clip and so yeah. like it it's not I think the thing to remember is it's not because we're like. I've seen lots of dissections about like the technical aspects that are very Mm. interesting, but on like a really similar, like a small level, it's just that animators have been praying for big studios to do something a bit more interesting. Yeah. You see it a lot in short films and even Mm -hmm. some like Pixar shorts do go a bit more interesting, but more or less, uh, we've come to accept what big budget CG movies look like. Yeah. Um, like a certain level of like realism, a certain level of uh, mm. like just color palette and everything. Yeah. Um, I was recently telling someone the other day that uh, I, I'm always shouting the praises of the Kung Fu Panda films. Yeah. Um, and especially the third one, because I don't think many people saw it. And up until Spider-Verse, it had the most like interesting animation I'd seen. They do, Mm. they um, do a lot of really great stuff with color and everything like that. Sure. And I just like, it just gave me hope. And I don't, I I sort of sometimes sort of forget that it's a Spider-Man film, that it's a superhero film, because I'm just like, Mm -hmm. I just hope it inspires more animated films to be a bit more interesting. Because like the, I mean, I know it didn't make, the most mm-hmm. money in the world. Yeah. But it's got so much praise that I really think that if Pixar or one of the big studios had a bit more fun with their mm. style, it could, you know, work really well. That, that That's the thing that got me. One, this could have only been an animated movie. Yeah. There is no way you could have done anything like action. And while I appreciate the artistry and the skill that goes into making photorealistic CGI, also I also have the ongoing why bother. Mm. Whereas this was like animation going, this is what we can do, mm. and it was 
so happy and like not to say that, that I know I've seen a lot of critique uh, regarding uh, Penny, uh, but I don't know enough about Japanese art and manga to comment on that. And I feel like there are critiques we have, but like when you have the five different, one, two, three, <laughs> five, yeah, the five different versions, all, and all the, although Peter B, Miles and Gwen are the same animation style, you also have Oh no, it's six. Penny and Spider Noir and Spider Ham all looking completely different, mm. but sitting perfectly together. It's like. And then that's not even getting into the writing of this film. Yeah, exactly. It's not just like, spectacle. Who, yeah, it's like, oh, look, you can tell a heartwarming, emotional, clever. St- superhero story in less than two hours. Hey, Marvel! DC! How did you did you see the thing? Did you see the thing? I mean, I'm always talking about Speed Racer, and I think some people mm. think I only like it on a so bad it's good level. Oh, and no. I sometimes do say it was ahead of its time, and I just mean that like I don't think audiences were as accepting when it came out in 2009 of mm-hmm. something being very heartfelt but incredibly colourful and... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like over the top, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, one of the one of the not criticisms, one of the um, compliments I've seen the film receive mm. is that the Marvel comments comics do have a tendency, and I know this can sound a bit comic gatey, but bear with me. Yeah. <laughs> if you've listened to the show, I think you'll know what I, I'm mm. coming from. But Marvel comics do have a tendency to do a big uh, splash spectacle when they. Um, diversify I suppose a pre-existing mm. character so you know it was a big deal when Miles first appeared in the comics and they do it with a lot of characters um, however beyond that initial introduction they have a tendency to not really know what to do with them um, mm. especially in the case of something like uh, the female Thor as soon as she appears you know well eventually they're going to do the story about the real Thor coming back that it's yeah. it's I mean, Miles had a bit of an okay because he was kind of like separated in another universe. It was never like mm. um, expected that like they've always kind of existed together. But he doesn't have the kind of where are his like big memorable storylines um, mm. that even like general public might be aware of. Um, and he's always been slightly confused because in the comics he's always in the shadow, and mm. it's kind of this film has given us a version of Miles that now can, like, be a touchstone that people can, like, draw from. Mm. Um, it, M- Miles Morales is a fucking fantastic protagonist. Yes. Uh, as a person, he, the, the, there's a reason why it's just... Uh, one of my favourite things going around is the No Boys Allowed sign. Like paper letters on on strings, like a party, and then it's like a picture of Miles, just like Sun Boy allowed, <laughs> and it's just like how everyone's just like this is, and the thing he is such a wonderful person, mm. and he gets to be he's so bad at lying, so bad at lying, and he is earnest and sweet, and he tries so hard, and he brings out the best in other people, mm. and by virtue of being himself and he gets to be conflicted. It's just like, this is a good protagonist. This is a wonderful story. And like all the surrounding characters get to have these little 
arcs. Like I'm one of the people over here going Peter B. Parker with his dad bod. I'm here. I'm part. Of, I'm not lying. I'm part of that group. Mm. But like the fact that Miles is able to bring out this desire in in Peter B. to be a parent, to be a teacher, that he's able to bring out of Gwen who was happy to who was shutting herself off because she'd lost somebody to have a friend again mm. like the way we see um his relationship with his parents with his uncle with his art with the people in his neighborhood his struggles as a person like and the fact of the marriage and that's what even without getting into the fact that how important it is to see uh african american latinx protagonist on screen and what that means for those kids and there's just there's so few black animated characters Mm -hmm. um especially in like cg big budget movies yeah um like this came out the same year where uh brad bird and you know as much as we do like the incredibles and everything was Mm. talking about how to see frozone's wife would remove the joke about her and there was a lot of discussion about, well, we never see black women in animation. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think, like, the thing I would guess I was a bit worried about is that we finally get a Miles movie and it would be overshadowed by having five mm-hmm. other Spider-Men in it. And it's, mm-hmm. I loved that they only exist to further his story and that it's still yeah. a Miles film. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I have this, like, because this is another Lord and Miller thing who... Mm. Uh, did Lego Movie and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, and, like, yeah. I sometimes think that there's this, like, Victorian gentlemen's club that are challenging Lord and Miller to take over the most mm-hmm. hard-to-do property. And I just mean, like, when Sony announced that, oh, yeah, we're giving kind of Spider-Man back to the MCU, but we're also going to make a Spider-Man cartoon, I was like, just chill. Don't, like, mm-hmm. stop with this whole thing. Um, and, like... I'm actually like as as much as Venom is a flawed mess. Yeah, I'm kind of glad that we are. There's still like someone making self-contained, yeah, like quote-unquote experimental Spider-Man films, and just superhero films in general because everything else has to belong to a massive franchise. Mm. Um, I've got a because of who I am as a person. There was a Tumblr post going around that fucking cracked my shit up. Tumblr is hell now, by the way. The tagging <laughs> system is broken. You guys are useless. But I still spend far too much time on that website. But, which was somebody going, do I need to see uh, Into the Spider Top and Into the Spider Bottom to understand Into the Spider-Verse? And somebody replied, no, you don't need to see Venom to understand Into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> <laughs> which just, fucking, I lost my shit. Uh, so, but uh, if you have not yet seen Into the Spider Verse and it's still showing, God, please go see it if you can. I mean, we say to our UK audiences, um, but like I know it's still showing in theaters in the states because a friend of mine posted about seeing it last week, mm. and like it came out there sooner than here. That movie will look great on the small screen, but like there's so much detail and wonderful stuff going on. And I haven't even got started on how, once again, a prop, an intellectual property is totally fucking ripping off my vibe of giving me queer science ladies. Oh my gosh. Look, look, there's fucking Doc Ock. Uh, and don't, she's just amazing, don't get me wrong. There is uh, Dr. Uh, oh, Bedlam in Carmen San Diego. Mm. And who was the? There was a third one. I'm just like, what is it with all these morally ambiguous science ladies? <laughs> which 
giving off powerful queer vibes here, just like, come on, I'm right here. What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? Um, Shira. Yes, Prince uh, in in Chapter. Yes, yes. I mean, there's just there's also just like really good casting, like hearing. Mm Like Nicolas Cage say as Nick- Spider-Man, like I like to punch Nazis a lot. Um, uh, sometimes I like matches to let them burn down to feel something. <laughs> um, John Mulaney is Spider-Ham. Yeah. Um, Lily Tomlin. Yeah. yeah. As, soon as-, as as Aunt May, who was fucking did so much with like five minutes to screen tag. Hi, Liv. And she's just like, oh, where's that backstory? Hello. Only my friends call me Liv. Uh, hi, what's going on there? But um, yeah, Haley Steinfeld as Gwen Stacy, uh, Jake Johnson as Peter B. And I've forgotten the actor's name who plays fucking Miles. I am but he was the had, worst. He had a very, very good, um, unique quality to his voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I can... Oh, I just, I have to thank Into the Spider-Verse for giving me, giving us the world. Hey. Just like, because <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Uh, my my masks game the other day derailed for like about a minute because we all just started going, hey. <laughs> so. I actually watched Homecoming, Homecoming um, mm-hmm. again recently. Um, and I felt a twinge of sadness because I knew at the time this is who he was playing. But mm-hmm. um, Donald Glover plays uh, Miles's uncle slash spoilers for who who he is. I thought it was Marshal Ali played the uncle. No, no, in Homecoming. Oh, in Homecoming. My apologies. There's a scene when he's. It's not drawn any more attention to, but mm. he's buying like weapons from Vulture, and Ooh. he says it's because this neighborhood's dangerous and he wants to defend his nephew. Huh. And I'm like, oh, it's like a little nod. And I didn't really pay attention to that first time around, but it's now nice knowing who that character is now. Yeah. Um. Anyway, was, you, we could... we've talked about Into the Spider Verse for a lot. We should talk about something else. We're uh, we're finishing Box All Included so that we can jo- do our Into the Spider Verse podcast, where we talk about Into the Spider Verse every week. Um, <laughs> uh, let's go with one of yours. Okay, so I've started watching Shit's Creek on I Netflix. I need to watch this show because every gift set I see, I laugh. It's so gentle and it's quite funny because I'm only on series one, but I've seen clips of season five and nothing seems to have changed at all. Uh, I mean, I know mm. there are little story beats here and there, but like the essential premise is a insanely rich affluent uh family um have all their money uh disintegrated and have to go live in a town that they bought ages ago as a joke um and they live in a motel and so it's very much a fish out of water um thing and there's a there's a sort of quality in the first couple of episodes of um the small town vibes is grossing them out. Um, and that's kind of, I mean, it's how it goes, but like, it's, it's, it's interesting how much it's very much the kind of rich family are the ones we're laughing at. Yeah. Um, obviously living in a motel is not ideal for a lot of people, but, mm-hmm. uh, the town is generally friendly and that's kind of the aspect of them that really weirds them out. But mm. they're all like, they're wanting to help them out and, um, no one judges them for being kind of well-to-do, like, city types. Yeah. Um, 
So it's it's created by Eugene Levy. And he plays the dad, right? He plays the dad and his son, Dan Levy, who plays his mm. son in the show. Uh-huh. Um, Dan Levy is gay and he plays a pansexual character. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of like a sort of episode about um, them being a bit weirded out because he has sex with a woman and... It's- is this the one I've seen the gifs of him in the talking about wine and how he likes white wine and red wine and rosé? Yes. There's this whole there's a whole conversation he has with a, another girl and say, with his girl and saying like, "Yes, I do like red, but I also like white, but I have been known to have a rosé and sometimes a chardonnay, but I don't really mind what's written on the label." And then she's just like, "Okay, I like red though." <laughs> um I don't know. There's like there's there's like a slightly awkward episode, but um, Dan Levy has like specifically said one of the reasons he wants to make the show was mm. to not have his sexuality in any way like a plot point or like a struggle. There's a lot mm. of character like in that episode. The whole thing is that he is perfectly fine and like whatever. Um, it's just the other characters sort of trying to work out how to define him. Um, but it is just like a really small aspect of the show. And it's one of those things where when you actually have a queer character played by a queer person who's also writing it, yeah, uh, everything just feels really natural and comfortable. I've seen a few shows, like I really love Grace and Frankie, which also came back. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when I know that gay actors are playing gay characters, I, there's something that's like they can do a kind of slightly generic-y joke about liking musical theatre or something, and there's, like, a part of me that feel It just... I'm not offended. It just feels, like, inauthentic. Sure. But it really does feel like this character who he plays, David Rose, is, like, so much just himself writing himself, but, mm. like, turned... Like, a notch turned up where yeah. he's, like, really disgusted by everything. There's, mm. like, this whole episode about him having a panic attack... And he, from his pre-world, he says, oh, I know that panic attacks aren't real. It's just what celebrities say when they want some time off. And, like, this doctor saying, like, no, 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 that's what you're literally having right now. And he's like, no, 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 I am not. There's no such thing as a panic attack. And I don't know, it, it, it's just, I'm really excited to look at these, watch these characters evolve. And that's not even mentioning the standout performance that is the reason to watch the show. <laughs> and that's Catherine O'Hara, uh-huh. who people may remember from Beetlejuice and Home Alone and all kinds of other things. She plays uh, um, Eugene Lovey's wife, who, which she has played multiple times in the past. Yeah. Um, but she is a ex-soap opera actress. Oh, fantastic. And she... Performs the whole show kind of with a strange, overly articulated voice. And uh, there's like an episode of her, like one of the townsfolk saying, saying, like, you used to be an actress. Why don't you come and teach our drama class at school? And she's just like going all out, asking like so much of these kids doing a sort of PSA about drugs. Uh Um, It's just, she's incredible. And like one of of the details is... um, she just ha- <laughs> her motel room is just covered in wigs, yeah, and like 
you just see her walk into scenes with like a wig on and she has like amazing fashion. And I, I don't know, I can't even do it justice. I just think the show is quite light and gentle and it isn't the most laugh out loud thing in the world. But if you do, yeah. if you watch shows for performances, I think um, you'll have a good time. Oh, cool. Um, I'll give a shout out to uh, Netflix. I literally finished watching it yesterday. Uh, Russian Doll. Mm. Um, basic premise is it, it's very Groundhog Day, but without the uh, grossness of Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> I'll draw. I'll draw that line in the sand. Um, Natasha Leone plays the lead, a character called Nadia, who it's her thirty sixth birthday, and at the end of the day, she gets hit by a car. And she wakes back up in the bathroom of the birthday party we saw her in at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And she's stuck in a loop and she keeps dying. Um, And I do not want to give any spoilers away because it is some amazing writing, some absolutely stunning performances. It's a great show to watch. And yeah, it's some of the best writing I think I've come across in a while. Natasha Leone, I believe, directed one of the episodes. She has a producer credit. She's obviously in every episode. And the whole show feels, one has a very um, female vibe, like a lot of, that's the weird way, weirdest way to describe that. You can tell just how many women were involved in the creative side of mm. things. And it has such a queer sensibility going on. Um, like Natasha Leone, I think has said she's straight in interviews, but it's just, generally kind of relaxed i can't recall yeah i looked this up actually because there was some chat about it she's said that um sure i do things with women i like to do things with women i love women uh (laughs) that's my impression it's good but um (laughs) she actually said that she feels like uh calling herself bisexual would be claiming something that she doesn't feel like she's had any sort of connection or struggle to. I know that sounds a bit weird, but it, it's no, a legit no, thing. I, I get that. Because, like, Natasha Leone has powerful queer vibes. And, yeah. Um, as always played parts, like, as as far back as But I'm a Cheerleader, um, who uh, was directed by Jamie Babbitt, who directs, I believe, mm. most, if not every episode of Russian Doll. Um, I mean, when you're Natasha Leone and women are dropping themselves at your feet. Yeah. You know, you're going to yeah. partake in a little bit yeah. of fun. Somebody just <laughs> described her as looking like uh, she just has had the same look about her for the past 20 years, I swear. Mm. Like, she just looks the same. And it's amazing with the big eyes and the big hair. And I love her and have loved her. I will continue loving her. Um, but yeah, she... Uh, there's sort of a second protagonist appears a part way through the series and the actor that plays him, I think it's Charlie Bartlett or Barnett. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is also stunningly good and the two of them off each other is such a fantastic uh, portrayal of uh, just very opposites attract but also there's so many similarities and it's a great dynamic and... Seriously, it's only eight episodes long, and the episodes are only half an hour. Oh, wow. So it's super easy to get through. See, the, my assumption that any Netflix show people are going on about is going to be 13-hour-long episodes is why I haven't no. watched it yet. Eight, 
eight half hour long episodes. That's great good. soundtrack, great aesthetic. I want to be friends with so many of the people in the show. There's this character called Lizzie who is just like the best queer lady and I'm just there just like, I love her. I love everybody here. The Literally the only thing I've heard about the show is, um, I can't really say anything about it, but it's amazing. Please watch. Yeah. So exactly that. Exactly that. Just uh, watch it. I do not think it will be uh, a thing you regret. Um, I'll talk about how uh, the Walthamstow Queer Film Club, which I have mentioned uh, several times uh, recently, um, is still going strong. It's literally just me and three other people. Um, mm-hmm. We went to we went a, we went on a family outing to see The Favorite, um, uh-huh. which I loved. Uh, I think we all loved. I I was definitely the most aware of what the film was going to be when I saw it. Yeah. Um, I've I know the director's work. I know the sort of tone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think a few of the group thought we were seeing a lovely, fun, uh, romantic period mm-hmm. lesbian <laughs> romance, and not the kind of backstabbing grasp for power that it is. Sure. Um, it's really good. Like, don't accept. Don't. I would say that it's um, it's extreme and bizarre, but yeah. it is it is it is meant to be with like a bit of tongue in cheek. Can I just say before you continue talking about uh, talking about it, I just am really enjoying the renaissance of people realizing how amazing and hot Rachel Vice is. Like, <laughs> yeah. bitch, we've been here since nineteen ninety nine and the Mummy. Where were you? She looks so different now. But um, she looks so good. She looks like her amazing. talking about like because obviously, uh, oh, is it Dishonored? She did with Rachel mm. McAdams last yeah. year. Rachel Weisz is married to Daniel Craig. They're very happily married. They have kids or just a kid. But either way, but watching Rachel Weisz talk about doing sex scenes with ladies and lesbian romance, it's just like the ally. <laughs> the ally is here. There's a good compilation on. Uh, yeah, that compilation. I've of seen just that one. Her in interviews talking about how great. Women, women are. are. Um, it's, it's very good. <laughs> no, the favourite is just, it's really good. It's constantly shifting who you think the protagonist is. Mm. It's, um, like... I'm happy to see Olivia Coleman getting credit yeah. for the work she does. Like, her acceptance speech at the Golden Globes, where she referred to Emma and Rachel as her bitches, <laughs> was just choice. Well, like, Olivia Coleman's performance in that film is so good because there's these... Sh- Queen Anne is not a very well person and she has these kind of breakdowns earlier in the film and Mm. you're sort of like, oh, isn't Olivia Coleman doing a funny job? She's so like amusing when she's squawking about the place and just without changing, just like you get so aware that this is someone who is desperately alone, has had Mm -hmm. so much heartbreak Mm -hmm. and kind of playing with the affections of these two women is just the only joy in her life. Yeah, um, there's there's this clip I've seen, which is um, her watching, I believe it's her watching a dance that she can't take part in because mm. she has gout. And it's just like Olivia Colman's face, it, the camera doesn't move away from her. And it's just like fucking masterpiece in quiet heartbreak. Yeah. Like it, it, the film kind of has everything in terms of like, it's just goofy comedy there's like slapstick 
but there's just some really tender, really heartbreaking moments. Anyway, I was not really talking about that. I was just going to mention yeah. um, we we've tried to the the Walthamstow Queer Film Club. I think actually is the full is LGBT in terms of its members, oh. um, and so we've all felt the kind of weight of having to organise the weekend that we. Mm. So I did a gay week, and um, last week was Trans Week. And trying to find three trans movies that don't make us feel like shit, yeah, is uh, a tall order. Mm-hmm. Um, but we watched three, and I think they all—I definitely know which ones I like the most. What um, did you watch? So we watched um, *Tangerine*, mm-hmm. and I think that was my favorite. It was described to me as it's about trans sex workers in LA, and it's all shot on iPhones, mm. and like. I'll be honest, that didn't sound like the most fun in the world ever. Yeah. But it's like a French farce. It's like, it's so hilarious. And you're always laughing with them. And everyone, you know, it's got actual trans people playing the characters. It feels really authentic. Mm -hmm. Um, There's, it's, it's, you know, the the first scene is these... uh, two trans women in a donut shop talking about their boyfriends. Mm. And we never, like, really shift from their point of view and perspective on everything. Um, it's just really interesting. The show, the film is not, like, a voyeuristic look into a seedy underbelly. It's very much like, these are, like, people who deserve to be the protagonists of a movie because they're yeah. really engaging, they're really lovable... Um, it's just really good. Um, we also watched um, A Fantastic Woman, mm-hmm. which won Best Foreign Language at the Oscars last year. Um, I think I liked that the least. Mm-hmm. It was well made and interesting, but it did all the things that sort of films about trans people can't help but do there's like Mm. a scene of her being really reluctant to have like a body examination because she's the witness to a crime and like that's enough i i as an audience member i totally know why she wouldn't want to have that happen to her but then we have to like watch five minutes of it happening and sort of i don't know there's just like there's a lot of shots in it that feel like isn't it amazing that there's a trans woman on your screen right now and like I don't know. It was it, she, the the actress was really good though, and um, it definitely has good qualities. Um, and then we watched Hedwig and the Angry Inch, ah. <laughs> and I think what's interesting is we had this discussion afterwards about how. Um, and I ju- I'm, I'm mentioning this because it's like a topic we've talked about quite a bit before, mm. where um, something like a Fantastic Woman is present day. It's by an actual trans woman it's a story that's very real and Hedwig on paper is this sort of offensive played by a man uh, essentially it, there's songs all about uh, you know bottom surgery and stuff um, but the sort of organiser of the weekend of this like trilogy of films said they felt a lot more connection to Hedwig than the character in A Fantastic Woman mm. because Hedwig at least seemed to be coming from a place of like queer rage. Mm. 
Yeah. Whereas A Fantastic Woman was very much, it felt more like an educational piece to cis people. Yeah. Um, And I just thought it was interesting, like, separation. Because I know that sometimes things on, like, obviously, um, Hedwig is a product of its time and you wouldn't make something like that nowadays. But to kind of discredit older films because of uh, some of their Mm. missteps might be... You know, you might be ignoring something that like cuts to a really specific feeling or a really good truth that is still valuable. Yeah. Anyway, mm. I've talked for ages. <laughs> yeah. Um, as I said before, I'm going to talk about things that I don't normally talk about. Yeah. I'm going to talk about a couple of games. Um, this is entirely Tom's influence at this point. Um, where uh, I was visiting the Czech Republic over the new year. Um, He also came over here for a long weekend a little while ago. Um, One of these games we're going to complete when he comes back over in April. But uh, over the Christmas New Year break, we played... uh, These are both games for the Switch. Uh, We played Kingdom Two Crowns, Mm -hmm. um, which is sort of a side-scroller, 8-bit-looking... sort of a fantasy setting where you are trying to reclaim the kingdom from the greed, this force that came and sort of ravaged the land. Um, You collect coins and you expand your settlement and you hire people. Um, And eventually the idea is you build up your forces strong enough so you can feed everybody. And um, then you can attack the hordes of greed and try to rid the land of them. And, um, yeah, uh, as the players, if you're playing two-player, you basically play either if you're playing in the um, Western fantasy version, so it's sort of pseudo-European, you play as two uh, different princes or kings. And if you're playing the Japanese-inspired version, you play two ladies. That's the version that Tom and I are playing. It's just like, we were just talking about being wives and <laughs> how these queens were just like building this kingdom together. It's just like, hey, babe, can I have some money to go hire some people? Oh, yeah, sure, babe, here you go. Buy yourself something pretty. But the music was beautiful. The animations were lovely. And it's just like, it really got into it in a way that it's the kind of game that I can handle playing because a lot of my issues with games are coordination-based more than anything else. Yeah. Um, And so that was, and we completed the game. It's the first time I ever completed a game since I played Croc when I was (laughs) about 12 years old or whenever it was. Mm. So there was a real sort of satisfaction that came with that. And I really recommend it. I don't think it's too expensive on the Switch either. Um, I don't know what the single player mode is like, but playing it two player and you sort of expand out was enough. It was just very cool and very sweet and ate a lot of hours of my holiday in the Czech Republic that I was very happy to do so. Hmm. Uh, the the other game that we played, which is, holy shit, one of the cutest things I have ever played, is Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. Uh, it's a game for one to four players, and I really wish I was playing it with four people because the idea is you're all these little pilots and you have the initialism, uh, no, the, um, oh, well, the word has just disappeared from my head, but you are referred to as lovers, and it spell it spells something an acrostic. Mm. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, and the idea is like one of you mans the shields, and one of you mans the engines, and you're navving about trying to 
uh, rescue all these little cute little critter type things and gather the parts of this engine because the universe is like fueled by this love engine, but anti-love has come and broken it. <laughs> so you have to like travel around and rescue all the little things in, in your ship. Like because there's like these little st- stations within your little round ship and one is for the one is for the engines, one is for the shields, one is for the weapon, one is for the map. And the idea is that you have to move between the stations to navigate the space and to stop yourself from being hurt and everything. And it's just very beautifully animated and very cute. And I cannot recommend it enough because it's really fun, even if you do end up yelling a lot at the other person when there's only two of you, just like, can you please operate the shields? I'm driving right now. I'm, this is the only game I've ever played where I'm good at driving. <laughs> so, uh, but it's it's really fun and wholesome. And it's just a really lovely way to spend time. And I am getting a switch for my birthday this year. So I am joining the world of gamers. I'm very excited because I know a lot of people who have switches now and Mm. Animal Crossing is coming. (laughs) And I'm going to visit all of your towns. Yeah, no, um, at the moment, I think on my list, I I have Smash, uh, Hollow Knight, uh, mm. and a couple of others that I'm going to be playing. So I'm, ex- I'm excited for it. But yeah, so that that's that's me. <sighs> we have been talking so much. Um, yeah. We haven't even got to the point of this episode yet. Nope. Um, did, is there anything pressing you want to talk about with role-playing? Oh, God, so much has happened. Um, lots of feels, lots of queerness. Uh, the high-level campaign, we beat a shadow dragon and an ancient red dragon within 24 hours. That was fun. Hmm. Um, my asshole teenage goblin is just having a great time. I love playing them. They speak with an Australian accent. It's a hoot. Um, and yeah, but by all means, if you're interested in my D&D shenanigans, uh, you can check out uh, twitch.tv Natural Ruckus or our VOD on YouTube with the same name. Or you can listen to Follow the Leader, which is all GMless games. Uh, by all means, check that out. And uh, yeah, my Thursday night game is ticking as always. Just found out my, me and my character, my brother, have got like nega evil versions of us that we're going to have to fight. So that's fun. And my masks campaign that I am running... It's very good and I love these teenage kids Mm. and they are just very good and very sweet and very wholesome. And in our next session, um, two of the characters are going to attempt to do a seance, but they are bros. It's a bro seance. (laughs) uh, I am very excited to see what comes of that. So what about you? How's uh, um, how goes the the Monster of the Week campaign? All good. We're currently um, set in Victorian London, except we have gone to visit one of the characters' childhoods, country uh, country villages, in which everyone are pod people, and it's very Wicker Man and um, very uh, sort of folk horror-y. Um, and actually for research, I, I watched a great video about folk horror, and they said that uh, folk horror is not the fear of folk-like things, it is the fear of folk, as in people, and mm-hmm. how American sort of rural horror is all about cryptids and the mystery of what's out there, whereas British the kind of rural horror is the fear that you're never very far away from a community of people. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was really interesting. Anyway, uh, and uh, ye- this week I did character gen for the official Doctor Who role-playing game. <laughs> 
I saw your description of your character and I almost <laughs> let out a shriek of delight walking home. Holy shit, please tell the people your character. So it started off as being actually Amelia Earhart, but because um, one of the sort of character types is an actual historical character, but someone else at the table is now playing J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, so I shifted it a little bit to be someone from the far future who like, is obsessed with the Amelia Earhart type aesthetic, um, wanted to be the first solo kind of astronaut pilot to fly to a different star system, uh, but has gone missing. And so now as a kind of Star-Lord-esque, was from Earth, but hanging out in a kind of very non-Earthy type part of space... Um, sort of trying to get home, but keen to have enough like adventures and stories to bring home with her. Um, uh-huh. But I'm playing her exactly <laughs> as Kate Blanchett played uh, Catherine Hepburn in the movie The Aviator, which I don't like, but her like three scenes are a mm-hmm. choice after choice after choice, <laughs> like scenery chewing <laughs> tour de force. Um mm. Her, so her name's called Charlie Gale, Gale based on Dorothy, as she was kind of whisked away by a time tornado. Um, mm-hmm. And her line for when she walks in on the TARDIS is, Tell me, Skip, does this place have a shower? I take through a day for I'm so outdoorsy. Um, and I'm just like writing down a lot of these kind of like weird, like, sp- like verbal diarrhea speeches for her to say. <laughs> Um, very good. Very, very, very good. But I'm excited to actually see how the game works. Awesome. So, shall we get on to some questions and try and answer them as um, concisely as possible? Yeah, sure. Let's let's see how we do at that. <laughs> so this first email, uh, we got a really lovely touching email from Ben talking about the show, and it was very sweet. Um, and this was directed at me, but after what we've talked about, I think it could be directed at both of us. So in terms of questions, I was interested to learn that Hamish and his husband were long distance for a long time. It'd be nice to hear more about the role that media, movies, TV, video games played in your relationship during that period. I find it's really nice to watch and play things together, but also hard to coordinate over a big time difference. Um, and also, also have you either of you played Night in the Woods? It's a lovely game with really great writing for its queer characters. Um, you were just talking about how video games sort of affected your long distance relationship. Uh, yeah, well, video games is something we tend to do in person, but once I have uh, the Switch, I think playing remotely is something that we're going to do because uh, Tom is a big gamer. Um, the good thing is uh, Tom's in the Czech Republic, so he's only an hour ahead. So, mm. like, negotiating time to hang out is, uh, isn't too bad. Uh, I mean, I've been watching Russian Doll with him. Uh, they just changed their interface and everything sucks and I hate it. But Rabbit... Uh, is like been such a big part of Tom and I's relationship and how we spend time together. Like, I watched Black all of Black Sales with him, all of Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Um, we mainline shows a lot. Uh, we occasionally watch movies too, but mm. I'm uh, we're planning to watch Sensei soon because he hasn't seen it. Oh and wow! Obviously, yeah. So I'm really looking forward to sharing that with him. Um, but it's. Yeah, I really recommend it, despite the fact the interface has now changed and it's hideous. But if you're new going in, it might be perfectly easy to navigate for you. But, please. Well, I mean, I I think how different me and Justin's long distance aspect would have been if we'd, like, set up a Dropbox or 
there was just like a few things that didn't really hadn't really caught on yet. Um, I mean, when I first started talking to Justin, I was using the family computer <laughs> and like mm-hmm. skyping it from my parents' house. Um, but one of the things that we really shared was music because one of the first things he did when uh, we met up in person was just give me all the music he had. And so there's so mm. much music that makes me think of that time. Yeah. Um, and that was really touching. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I know that I've always wanted to write something about long distance relationships, but I've never like quite worked out the way I want to do it yet. Um, we'll collaborate. Yeah. Cause it's so, it's just such a unique thing yeah. and there's lots of you trying to like justify it to other people, but it's real. I found, yeah, everyone wants to tell you it'll never work. Um, I think relationships that are fun work regardless of if they last your whole lifetime. Yeah. Um, But I think they can work. Anyway. Uh, One one other thing that uh, I do with my long distance partners uh, is play tabletop games. Mm. Um, Like TTRPGs. Uh, I know Ben specifically said video games, but like... I met both Tom and Shrag through role-playing groups. Um, Let me tell you, it's a really good way to get to know somebody and you get to flirt in character and suss out things. There can be a little bit of emotional bleed, so do be careful. Um, But also it's a really good way to get to know somebody Um, and it's a really fun way to spend time together, getting to be characters who do get to live together all the time Mm -hmm. or... You know, it's a little bit of wish fulfillment. And maybe amusingly enough, um, Tom and I, apart from the Starfinder one shot we did, have never played a romantic couple. Uh, in all the games we're in together, our characters aren't tied together like that. Uh, Shrag and I haven't both been players in a game since the game where we first met. I obviously play all the NPCs because I GM. Uh, mm. But his character in our Spoiling Blades game, it's a very complicated backstory I won't get into, but I got to play the love interest to that and got so very invested in the relationship between those two characters, which on reflection may have been a clue to both of us about where our relationship was going to end up. But hindsight's good for that. Mm. So, but yes, uh, it is hard to coordinate over a big time difference. Uh, Shark and I have a seven hour time difference and we both work full time. Mm. so it's yeah it's it's hard me and Justin's ended up working out a little bit because it was just morning I was waking mm. up when he was going to bed but it kind of worked out mm. um but yeah I mean, I mean Justin and I got together because we were part of a Doctor Who forum so in the early days Doctor Who was a big part of it and now we barely talk about it mm. um but yeah, I, I I will just answer your second part. I have played Night in the Woods and I will be making Jade play it uh, mm-hmm. when you have your Switch because it's got the best kind of queer couple. If it's, if it's not too expensive, buy it for me as a gift and I'll just oh, stick yeah. it on my, my Switch and I'll, I'll That's go a good from idea. there. <laughs> um, and thoughts on online versus in real life queer communities, what we get out of them, how we form them, how they work differently. I mean, that's like a episode topic. Yeah, it's something I think we've touched on before uh, in uh, Are You Queer Enough is definitely one that we talked about this. Uh, Our Pride episodes, this is something we've touched on. Uh, Online communities are great, uh, but also you run the risk of echo chambers and things like that. And 
it's a really way to get into bad thinking. And there are so many toxic groups online masquerading. Yeah. As like the proliferation of TERFs and exclusionists around can make online spaces really difficult to navigate. But, yeah, I mean like it's also invaluable if you live somewhere like distance away like i learned so much from my online queer friends i i have a support system there that i don't have in real life yeah i'm i'm utterly grateful for the fact that i'm able to have a little queer film club um mm. it's just and i tend they're also the group i uh more or less that i role play with and meet up with and i, I feel very lucky to have that but um mm. I think, I mean, treating, like, I sometimes get a bit daunted by queer groups, which are, like, giant 20,000 member, like, Facebook groups or something. Yeah. But just having one or two people is more than enough, yes. I find. Um, anyway, we got another great email, which I'll forward to you, um, mm. from Eli. I adore your podcast, uh, but have been slow and just caught up in time for the end. I loved the sex episode and realising this may be a good opportunity. I wanted to ask Hamish, as an artist, do you have any experience balancing professionalism with perhaps varying ranges of rating in content you create and how to manage audience? Um, there are a lot of artists that have kind of not safe for work chunks of their... Um, kind of portfolio but it's like 2019 it's time to it's okay to be horny on main yeah. <laughs> um, uh i mean my first book i released had full frontal anal penetration in it then my second book was like an all ages like school libraries type book and they look pretty similar from like a glance at the cover and i still don't know if that's an issue or not but i wouldn't I mean, there are some people I know who like fully accept that this is their full-time job. This is how they make most of the money. And they are going to not even have a kind of non, not safe for work front to their work. Sure. Um, but I don't think there's, and that's fine. But I think if you want to do both, there is no shame in just saying that you have that part of your work. I do know mm. people kind of tend to hide that behind a Patreon or a separate Twitter or something like that, and that's like valid. Um, mm. But I just like there's no there's no reason to. It's not going to prevent you from getting work. Like you know, I've seen Adventure Time covers by people who are the most like horny furry artists. <laughs> uh, it's like it doesn't prevent you from anything. So I have nothing to contribute to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, from a question from Tony. If you were offered immortality, would you take it? If part of that was also being invincible, would your answer change? Assume it's the kind where you stop aging, none of that, oh, you should have wished for eternal youth, BS. So I feel like Tony's encountered some monkey poor-esque fiction and knows what it's at to be specific about things. <laughs> um, no? No, me neither. I, I like the I, idea of being invincible for a while. But it would be quite hard to give up, I suppose. I like the idea of my body not hurting and, like, the shit that's wrong with it getting worse. Mm. But, like, if I could have, like, a doctor situation where, like, certain body regenerate, maybe, you know, that could be fun. But as much as I'd be intrigued to see how the world changes, mm. how things change and getting to bear witness, I mean... 
When I think about how much I've changed in my life, I'd be intrigued to see how Jade a thousand years down the line if we haven't nuked the planet <laughs> into oblivion by then. It's a fun thought thing, but the actual reality of living forever, even if I got to stay, I know, in my 30s, in my early 30s, I don't know, that's a scary, yeah. scary prospect. Just watching everybody, you know, die is a, lot, is a bit much. Yeah, that's upsetting. Um, um, should I answer this from Amber? Uh, no, um, I don't really have much to offer in way of answers. Uh, so, um, Amber, my sister... Uh, uh, gave us this uh, after watching some great documentaries recently the 34th amendment strike a pose uh, Paris is burning I'm enjoying learning and educating myself on our history sometimes it feels like our queer history is fragmented and I love finding out more about the people places and moments that have sh shaped the world we now live in what media can you recommend to help fill in the gaps I have to admit I've never I've not actually watched an episode of the show Pose mm -hmm. um I found it quite hard to get, like, hang of in this country, and I wanted to support it non-illegally. Um, yeah. But I'm seeing more stuff that's not, like, historical, but not just overly tragic, and not, you know... So I, I don't think it just needs to be documentaries. Mm. Um I think we've talked about a lot over the show. I'm trying to think yeah. of anything we haven't mentioned. I mean, in all seriousness, I am actually a bit of an advocate for going into the LGBT section of Netflix and seeing what's in there. Mm. Um, it's about hearing voices, I suppose, like, as as Hamish says, it's not just about non-fiction, though. That desire to know more about our history, I, I get that so much. There's a lot of books out there Um Talking about queer movements and things like that, uh, there are some, given the bullshit, weird, horrible thing that went around a while ago, there was actually some really great literature about um, the relationships between gay men during the First World War. Mm. Like, our stories are out there. It is finding them. Um, I do recommend um, Rowan Ellis, her YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, she's tackled a lot of this very excitedly. She's just done a new uh, video quite recently on the history of sort of queer baiting and came up with the term queer catching, which I really like. Um, mm. Which is like, you promise that there's going to be a queer character and then like it's like barely anything, if at all. Uh, but yeah, it, Rowan does a lot of research and um, is really good at providing resources. So do check out uh, her. For and sure. also what I was saying about Hedwig earlier is that a queer film from the past, no matter if it's, uh, you know, problematic by today's standards, is still queer history. Like it's, mm. it came out, it made a, it's a kind of time capsule. Um, and sometimes reading up about the history of its production can be interesting and who made it and what they did and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so Amar said, if you had an opportunity to have a musician or band perform their entire discography, and we're talking all the way to the deep cuts <laughs> in one huge show, I would say just for you, but consider the idea gives me anxiety. Let's keep it to <laughs> to you. Get to attend however you like. Um, who would you want it to be? I'd want to see Queen. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, I'm still just like, I know you said however you want to. I don't know if I could 
everyone I can think of I want to listen to has a ginormous <laughs> discography. No, as probably... long as there, was, there could be intervals. There could be like when you go to the opera. Mm. I mean, I was always sad I didn't get to see Prince because he mm. had this tendency to do a lot of like weird surprise gigs in London. Yeah. Um, and I always feel sad that I didn't get to see that. Um, mm. You know, I like David Bowie. I had a David Bowie uh, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> 21st impersonator party, <laughs> which was Fantastic. actually quite good. Um, I just All I'm thinking of is dead people. I mean... I'm trying to think of people who might be... Um, I mean, Janelle. I mean, yes. I mean, I have seen her enough that I have probably seen her entire discography. I'm seeing her <laughs> again this year, actually. Nice. Um, but yeah, I can think of... I mean, I am th- I think some, like, proper historical people would be really interesting. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh... Megan uh, sent us this one. Uh, so I've gotten a lot of good media recommendations listening to the podcast that I hadn't heard of before, but now I completely love, which is awesome. Thank you. Uh, please like me, Six the Musical, Ghost Watch, name a few. Do we what? have any last minute plugs for shows, music, podcasts, etc. that you feel your listeners absolutely should check out? Thanks for everything. It's been a great run. Please like me, Six the Musical and Ghost Watch are such a <laughs> bizarre trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what we is have to show? go see Six the Musical later this year, by the way. Hamish, we need to go. Yes, I will. Um, Man. I mean, I'm a one-person advocate for all Godzilla movies, but that's not exactly <laughs> relevant. Um, I, I talked about Shit's Creek earlier because I knew that I had one last chance and I felt, I, even though I've only watched a bit, I knew I know this is going to be a show I really like. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, it's one of those things, like, we've been in a wonderful position to uh, to share the things we love with our listeners since we started this podcast. So um, if you haven't seen Pacific Rim yet, watch it, because, yes, uh, Random Access History, is a re- along the lines, is a really great tabletop game. Um, in all seriousness, stay tuned into Hamish and I's Twitters, because we can't shut up about the stuff we like, generally yeah. speaking. Like, we will tweet about it, uh, because new media is coming up all the time. Um, mm. So, Friends at the Table, I have to stress again, is one of my favourite pieces. I'm having real issues with audio processing right now, so I'm, like, super behind on all of my podcasts. But... I love it so very much. Ditto the Penumbra podcast, which is one of my favourite pieces of media of, like, hands down all time. Um. Uh, for me, listen to Lizzo, um, <laughs> the mm-hmm. uh, artist. Um, oh, I've super gotten into, I think it's Grizzfolk recently. Mm. Um, thank you, Spotify. Um, I just, I'm really digging their music. Um Ninja Sex Party, I have been had the interest of getting introduced to kind of recently. They've been around for a while. I don't like all of their choices, but uh, their song, Danny Don't You Know, is very good and has Finn Wolfhard in uh, mm. as the young Danny Sex Bang. So <laughs> go in being aware of the kind of band that they are. Uh, they do a lot of gags that just like, I think they fall into a lot of tropes that straight people do making music. But if you're like, if you like nerdy stuff, they have this song called Release the Kraken that's very funny. Um, I mean, again, do a little research before you're getting into anything. Keep yourself safe. Yeah, I, I watch so many you 
like I always think of some I always think of someone who I don't know any YouTubers but it's mm. because the YouTubers that always get talked about are the kind of white blonde kids yeah I watch a lot of queer YouTubers um mm. favorites of mine being as we said Rowan Ellis I love um Lindsay Ellis yep um, um Mikey Newman who I don't believe identifies. Oh no, Mikey's ace. So yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, Contrapoints is yep. just yep. amazing. Natalie Wynn can really say some stuff that is very divisive. She should not be your only source of information on anything because no. it's one perspective. But holy shit, does she do a good video essay? The the those essays are I find really interesting because they're very rarely. Um, I am going to teach you about something. It's I'm going to explore the facets about this conversation that I haven't quite worked out yet. And it's okay to be conflicted about things. Yes. Kind of. She does a lot of ones where she's playing multiple characters Mm -hmm. and they're having a debate. And it's quite interesting to know how to counter arguments you hear a lot. But yeah, yeah, like you say, it's, it's very personal and a specific perspective. Um, I've gotten really into Jenny Nicholson recently. Um, you mm-hmm. might have seen some clips of her. She's usually on a bed. She has an incredibly dry delivery of everything. And she's primarily a kind of theme park reviewer. Cool. Um, one of her, but like, she also does stuff about films. One of her funniest videos is her deep exploration about Disney's avatar world. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, it just she goes into every detail about that park that basically shouldn't really exist but does. Um, I want to give a shout out to H Bomber Guy. Oh who yes, do, has done been doing fantastic. This is like a two and a half hour magnum opus of everything that's wrong with Sherlock and why, <laughs> which is the most fantastic dressing down of that show. But um, he. Recently did a, if you haven't seen this on YouTube, that's fair. I've just looked at his, uh, just, you just you should look at his Twitter header right now, Hamish, because I think you will really like it. Holy shit, uh, H-Bobber guy. But he recently did a stream thing of him completing um, Donkey Kong 64 mm-hmm. as a charity stream to raise money uh, for Mermaids, uh, a charity here in the UK that supports uh, trans children uh, with therapy and stuff like that after... Uh, the creator of Father Ted um, basically went on Mum's Net, rallied the crowd, just like, uh, "Yeah, no, you should all uh, write to the National Lottery, who are considering giving this charity that helps children money." Mm. But yeah, so uh, the ha- if you if you saw the hashtag "Thanks Graham" trending, <laughs> that's because of H Bomber Guy's stream, which had a lot of people that uh, we mentioned: um, Dan Olson, who I didn't get mentioned earlier, Lindsay Ellis, uh, Contrapoints. Um, but like AOC appeared on this stream and uh, he was like, I would like to talk more about trans rights with you, but also do you know how to get past the factory level? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, Donkey Kong Kong 64 is not a very good game. It's like, it's just funny that all of this focus got put on trans rights and Donkey Kong Country. And I have to say, I'm very uh, thankful to everyone that tuned into this because there was so much art of like Donkey Kong said trans rights and things like that. Mm-hmm. But at no point did I ever see someone compare King K. Rule, the mm-hmm. villain of Donkey Kong 64 and my Smash Brothers main to Graham Linehan, because that would have really soured my enjoyment of that character. But no. Thing- yeah. Um, yeah. Do check as well as doing that awesome thing. Uh, a lot of his channels like addressing the bullshit 
white boy YouTuber stuff. Like uh, he did a flat earth rebuttal. He did mm. a thing talking about, he's like uh, dressing down the whole soy boy mythology and stuff like that. He's a, he talked about what it means to be a fan of HP Lovecraft as a queer person when HP Lovecraft was a fucking racist. Yeah. The kind of racist that people in the 1930s were like, He's a bit much, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. um, yes. Um, but his, his essays are great. He is one of us. He's also very well aware of his position of privilege as a cis white guy, um, but tries to use his platform to further voices. So he's definitely worth checking out. I mean, I, th- I think that's the thing. I, people have been asking us for podcasts to mm. uh, sort of replace this. Um, but most of, as much as like, a lot of time and effort goes into the visuals. A lot of these YouTubers can be listened to, essentially. You just yes. put on YouTube and do something else. And that's how I do mm-hmm. consume most of these. So, And yeah. a lot of them are, do way, you know, infinitely more research than we've ever done on an episode. So, yep. Yeah, they uh, do. <laughs> um, um. Kansas said, Jade, what is the cutest thing your niece has ever said to you or while you're around? Man... She's nine. She comes out with cute shit all the time. Um, she came into the room where my sister was dyeing my hair last night and just made a noise. It was just like, hmm, which was just like <laughs> the most supportive and also judgmental noise I think I could have had a child make. Um, I don't know. Picking one thing is really hard, though. Um, recently, when I asked her... Um, uh, who her favourite princess was in She-Ra because I knew she was watching it and the look of anguish on her face is like, I have to choose. This was very good. And then she's just like, it's Catra. And I said, well, the Catra's not a princess. And she was like, ah. <laughs> so it was very good is what, it, what I'm saying. Um, I don't... Also, oh, no, sorry, quickly. Um, when I come into her, she's like, Jade are you caught up with Steven Universe? <laughs> and sadly, I always have to say, no, I'm not, but I have been spoiled. Just like, okay, then I won't tell you about it. And she's Aww. like, she's just, she's just very good. Um, I've never Kansas had anyone, anyone, mm-hmm. well, I've never had anyone younger than me in like my life. I'm the youngest of my entire extended family. Yeah. I've never really known anyone with kids and I am not very good with kids and I really wish I was. Same, same. Talk to Kyra like a short adult, and that, that seems to do me okay. Uh, we, I, I got asked. Uh, you can ask this if you want. Yeah, uh, Hamish, what's the funniest thing that your husband has said to you? And Justin is so fucking funny. He's a really so. bizarre person because he's very um, reclusive and often like just disappears when friends come over, which some people think is him being rude, but he just wants us to he knows that we'll just be talking at a speed that he can't really match in terms of references mm. and stuff. Um, I really wish more people could see the like funny side of him. Um, I can't think of a specific... The only one that's coming to me at the moment is... Mm-hmm. Uh, we were f- channel flicking and there was Mr. Bean on and he mm-hmm. came in and went, Ah, Monsieur Legume. <laughs> <laughs> and I was Fuck. just... What? <laughs> Fuck, um, that's good. But like it, again, it comes. It comes with like he has not got. He never tries to be funny. So he mm. he comes with like a really matter of fact kind of delivery whenever he says things. Um, he's just like an interesting human who I'm fascinated by. He is also master of the deadpan delivery, and it's very good. 
Yeah. Um, so I finally found a large group. This is also in Kansas. Finally found a large group of queer folks to hang out and chat with. But now I have completely lost the ability to understand this conversation. Is this a good or a bad thing? It's. A, I leave him fucking to it. Quite frankly. Yeah. It's. It's. There does come times when I'm just having a conversation or something, and something really bumps up against like. Oh, wait, no, that's what general people think about things. And I don't mean anything hugely offensive, but, like, um, I I felt it really recently with the pretty shockingly bad, as much as I usually like his stuff, Louis Theroux documentary on polyamory. Yeah. It wasn't so much that it was, like, offensive. I was just really shocked by Louis finding the whole concept so hard to grasp and I couldn't tell how much of that was him putting that on so that the audience could like relate relate but like there was a bit when just uh, you know a woman hugged a man and he said but that's not your husband is that okay and is it okay for your children to see that and I'm like it's a hug what the hell is going on um, um I often Mm, please. Well, no, I, I, I'll i just say that I often see tweets and the response is like, are straight people okay? Because mm. it's just like, would you let your husband, like, eat a banana? Like, God, it must be so stressful. Yeah, I mean... I... I just... Uh, everybody else... Uh, there is uh, there is a gay guy in my office. Uh, everybody else is terrifically straight. Um and even the gay guy is very sort of rigid in his attitudes about certain things. Mm. Um, but like hearing anybody in my office talk about fucking gender makes me want to crawl up into a hole and die. It's yep. just like, isn't it exhausting having such narrow fucking ideas about what things are? Yeah, I mean, so speaking of Graham Linehan, um, as my studio is we do represent certain comedians and so we are very connected to the British comedy world. Um, I've met Graham Linehan and he used to come in a lot for uh, script meetings and like stuff like that. Um, I went off on Twitter once about him. I say once. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, one of the people that works there was like, hey Mitch, let's sit down. I I want you to tell me everything about Graham Linehan and it was this really weird moment of like oh no you're not judging me because I'm insulting someone that the studio considers like an acquaintance you want to know why they want to know why because they're concerned and I explained it and it was really hard to like you know to explain not just what he thinks but why it's bad because one of the problems with like turf logistics is that they're very good at sounding very reasonable because if you go on if you see any of graham's points he's always talking about oh this is so transphobic and so homophobic and so sexist and like yeah those are all bad things and then Mm -hmm. you realize what he's talking about is he's misgendering someone and he's trying to take like support away from vulnerable children yeah and sometimes it is hard to like go back to like queer sort of theory 101 with people. Yeah. But I think some people are willing to learn. It's just yeah, that it it's... doesn't it doesn't consume their everyday thoughts like it does with us. 
Yeah, man. Uh, slightly off topic. I, I, uh, somebody I follow, uh, who's a trans lady, uh, tweeted last night or earlier today. It's just like unless they have a PhD in gender studies, no cis person has thought more about gender than a trans person, and so mm. you shouldn't give their opinion any fucking weight, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, um... because <laughs> yeah, there are people in the community of the cis community that are willing to try. People change. People. Some mm. people want to change. They want to be better allies. They want to be better people. Full stop. So don't be afraid to have conversations with them. But I definitely, there are certain conversations I will happily just fucking nope out of and walk away. Yeah, I, I am too. I I've literally said on a number of occasions I am too queer for this, and left a conversation. Yeah, it's not. It isn't your obligation and job to educate the world. Nope. Um, and it's it not. you're not you're not I remember when um that like celebrity Big Brother series where Courtney Att was a guest on, I mentioned it on the podcast because she was like using her time and platform to engage everyone in the house and try and educate people. And that's like really great. But I'm sure that's not what she's like 24-7. That's I'm here to do a job mm. and it's okay to just like you know, take a step back and just walk away from people or not try and fight back. I'm blocking and muting so many people on Twitter these days. Not even Block and strong. Block them. Yeah, just like not not even if they're like attacking me, just someone um like I don't know. Someone I, someone was coming at me for something the other day and I just like skimmed over there tweets and just muted it all and I was just much happier than if I had even attempted to engage yeah. um, curate they, your experience online they, they will find someone else to argue with yeah um, so it's not a good or a bad thing I think it's nice when you finally get to have conversations at the speed and level you want to but, yeah um, so we have a bunch of very very quick fire questions from Luther uh, I'm going to ask them alternate we'll alternate uh, Okay. Which is your favourite Box Not Included episode? Hard one to answer. Um, I was literally skimming through the list ahead of this. Um, recently, I'm super proud of the episode about sex. Yeah. Because I think that ended up being a really fun discussion. Um, Not So Guilty Pleasures is a really good one. Um, I think <sighs> our episode on queer baiting is great. Yeah, I'm really proud of the topic episodes because I think they can mm. still... Like, our catch-ups were very much relevant to the week they came out, but I think our topic ones can really still stand up. Yeah. Like our Halloween episode, though, where we, we ate candy, we mm -hmm. got a bit silly. Mm-hmm. Gaze in Space remains a mm. really strong episode that we did. Our special our run of episodes with Mel, uh, Pisswitch Trenda... <laughs> Having any episode we had a guest on, I genuinely yeah. feel very positive about. I wish we'd done it more. I, I I'll say that we tried so many more times than we actually did. Like yeah. we had several guests lined up, and it just was confusing and hard to get or get do. So whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I I'm just still really proud of our first episode. It's one of the mm. ones I've re-listened to properly, yeah. and Me it's. Too pretty similar level to where we are now that might be a good thing or a bad thing depending on how you feel about the show but sure. um, I felt we started strong yeah um, most spicy film opinion <laughs> um, Bill Murray isn't that funny 
Re- that's what. That's one. Um, remakes are not inherently bad. Some mm-hmm. classics are. You are. You will be surprised to know some classics are remakes. Um, adaption is an art form, and just because something is adapted from a source material, adherence to the source material does not make for good adaption. Yes. Um, I mean, we could go on. <laughs> there's 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 lots there's lots of things that we could talk about. Um, and some of them maybe aren't so spicy because the problem is Hamish and I agree on so many things that sometimes it's easy to forget that it's not a widely mm. held opinion or that it's maybe a controversial opinion. Don't feel bad about enjoying a film with a bad person in it. I think films are... Um, be, be smart with your money and what new films you support. Yeah. But don't beat yourself up because you want to watch Edward Scissorhands or you like Ghostbusters and we've had quite an anti Bill Murray episode or something. Like I'm just so I'm not yeah, no. Like he just something about him rubs me up the wrong way. But I think that's the thing, like it, it life's short, watch what you yeah. want, but yeah. you know. Be aware. Um Last comics, Rex, I'm going to say that um I'm slowly starting a a sort of a comic podcast with Mel. It's quite different to this. We did record some episodes now. Um, and it's very... Sh- it, the episode's like 20 minutes long. They're very much like a little book club. And it's more that me and Mel wants to read more of our comics and share our comics. And if anyone mm. listens, that's fine. So if that's you want rad. regular comics recommendations, um, listen to that when it comes out. Um, uh, I have none that I haven't already talked about before. So... Um, but I'm I'm excited to read uh, to read Bloom, which I just mm. bought, um, and uh, you know maybe I'll talk about that on the group. Cool. Um, and lastly, uh, any uh, other queer podcasts to replace this one? There is no replacing this one. <laughs> no. We are eternal. So, also, we re- renewed the SoundCloud, so the episodes aren't going away. But do download them so you have them. Yeah. Um. um some to recommend um throwing shade um food for thought <laughs> magical boys and podcast of color uh for that i dip in and out of but they are varying degrees of queer and geeky um magical boys is one that's very similar to ours and that's they, they, their intro is um you know, geek culture from a queer perspective, but their geek culture is a lot more video games and anime than we've ever been. Cool. Um, so if you kind of like that, but with a slightly different perspective, um, they're also both American and people of color. So that's something mm-hmm. else. Um, I don't really listen to any factual podcasts really mm. anymore. Um, I've recommended them before, but Friends of the Table has a very queer cast. Uh, the Room Where It Happens is queer friendly. Dungeons and Queers. Uh, I'm now looking at my podcast app. Um, <laughs> Waypoint Radio um, has a few queer cast members, uh, cast members, presenters, guests. They, when they talk about it, while well, we're checking out, um, and I've talked about the Penumbra countless times. Support queer creators. Um, as you can and, and as you do. And, and uh, follow the leader, which I'm on. Um, uh, I, can't rec- I can't work out how to word this. Treat indie small queer creators with a bit more 
um, kindness, m- kindness and mercy than giant corporations. Like yeah. Disney announced a pride at one of fucking, their parks. Fucking no, and like doesn't doesn't that sound lovely? And I go off on like a multi-tweet thing about why it's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I would not be doing the same thing for if a show made by like three queer people in their bedroom, like. Perpetuated a slightly bad trope or something. I might mention it to them, but don't like. Yeah. Yeah. Be kind. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say that be just because we made seventy plus episodes of uh, queer culture from well, geek culture from a queer perspective, that doesn't mean that you can't do the same. Hell and yeah! That, like. We were very much inspired by other shows doing it. We never thought we had a completely unique selling point other than it's our particular perspective. So mm-hmm. if you like the show, it's fine to like pick up where we left off, more or less. Yeah, Although let we, us know. we do own the Box Not Included domains, so yeah, <laughs> call it something ours. else. But yeah, if, um, if you're going to miss the show and want to hear it more, then do what we did have, and just make it. Have your own conversations. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So next week is our actual final episode, although we have already recorded it. So this is our proper like last goodbyes yeah. in real time. Um, mm. In that episode, we'll be chatting about the whole box and included journey. We'll be going back to episode one um, and talking about other highlights. But our Facebook group will be staying open. Um, I'm going to start posting a bit more in there, I think. I think I haven't been posting there because I felt guilty about not getting an episode out. Um, But yeah, so the community will still be around. Um, But if you want to talk to us or see what our views are on new media, the best way Mm -hmm. to do that is following us directly on Twitter. I'm at Hamish Steele. And I'm at Jade Oxford Rose. And finally, as always, we want to thank Graham Waller, Audio Overlord, Master of the Soundwaves, for our theme music and helping produce the podcast. Until next time. (laughs) Oh, that felt weird to say. I'm Jade Rose. I'm Hamish Steele. And don't let anyone box you in.